Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're checking in with Cache County Executive David Zook. We're going to talk about a wide range of issues, including housing, transportation, the economy, homelessness, and uh, growth. Um, uh, David Zook, thanks for coming back in. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Good to have you in. Um, so, yeah, those who may have a vague idea of county government, what does the county, what does the county executive do? That's a good question. It's it's actually kind of unique. Uh, throughout Utah, we have different forms of government for counties, and each county can decide how they they want their county to be structured. The basic form is a commission form, where where oftentimes it's three commissioners who uh, are kind of a combined legislative and executive branch. So they they pass the laws and they pass the budget, and then they also carry it out. That's kind of unique in in the American form of government. Cities and states and the federal government are set up differently. And so in our county, we actually have a different form that's similar to that federal, state, or, or city model where we have an ex- executive branch and a, and a legislative branch. We call it a, our legislative branch a council. And then I'm the county executive. It's an office similar to president or governor or mayor. Uh, and so my job is I'm the chief executive officer uh, for the county, CEO, oversee day-to-day operations, and department heads answer to me. And, uh, and one of the things that is the most interesting about my role is I get to represent the citizens on a variety of different boards and committees. And that includes things like transportation committees and the airport board and waste management, the public health board, the mental health board, so a whole variety of different uh, different opportunities to serve and be involved in different issues. Uh, all told, it's about three dozen different boards and committees that I serve on, and that uh, keeps my day interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to start with um, this investigation into uh, the county clerk's office. It has to do with election Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they described it, Lieutenant Governor's Office, I think, is a, a narrow but serious issue. Uh, what's the latest on this? What can you tell us? Yeah, the the investigation should be done very soon. Uh, we've we've been looking into it. What happened was the Lieutenant Governor's Office, the Lieutenant, one of the Lieutenant Governor's responsibilities on a statewide level is to oversee elections, and uh, they provide a lot of technical assistance to us. They help connect us to various funding sources and uh, and help us to follow the law. And And that is a very complex process to, to figure out the, the, the correct way to, to run an election according to the laws that are constantly changing. The legislature's uh, in session right now. I'm sure they'll make some more changes to how we run elections. So uh, it's it's a tough process. There's a, a really thick book that gets published every year with all of the election laws in our state. Uh, it's a couple inches thick. And uh, so we have a county clerk at the county level. County clerks are responsible for carrying out elections, and they carry out elections for federal offices, statewide offices, for uh for county offices and, and, and even for city elections and, and other things like special districts. So those those county uh, elected officials have a lot of responsibility and, and have to work with a lot of other agencies to, to run their elections for them. And the lieutenant governor's office had been looking at our process here and uh, working with our county clerk. That's a separate elected official uh, for me. And 
they they found some irregularities. Uh, well, it was one irregularity that uh, they were concerned about. They brought it to our attention, and we asked our, our county attorney's office to look into it. And uh, a, a few people were placed on administrative leave during the investigation, which is a standard process. We brought two of them back so far, and uh, we... Uh, we expect to to finish that investigation, and and then we'll we'll be a lot more open about what exactly was found, and and uh, we just want to make sure we have all of the information correct before we uh, before we explain the entire situation. But we we do want want to share that we feel like the integrity of of our election is intact. That uh, we we actually did a recount after the last election, and. Uh, and the good thing about that is in doing the recount, we, we were able to confirm that the original count was, was very accurate and, uh, and that things were, were done well. And we, we have confidence in the system that's set up. And, and I actually see this as proof that the system works. The fact that there was an irregularity and it was identified almost immediately. And uh, we've, we have a system in place to investigate, to uh, to find out what exactly happened and why, and then and then take appropriate action in relation to that. So, I actually have a lot more confidence in our election system now, uh, after going through this process and and seeing how we we can exercise our checks and balances, and make sure that every vote gets counted. Uh, when when will the investigation be finished, properly? I, I don't have an exact date. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I, that's the same question I, mm-hmm. I, I ask our investigator uh, pretty frequently, and, and uh, it, I would say fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Which election was this uh, uh, this involved here? The general election last general November. General election last time. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but you're you're confident the the this this did not change the outcome of the election. Correct. You okay? Yeah. We'll see. Uh, by the way. Um, we currently have a clerk who's also an auditor, and that's going to be separated. Yeah, yeah. A few years back, the the county decided to combine those elected offices. Some of the elected offices under state law can be combined, uh, and in fact, my office is a combined office. I'm the county executive, but I'm also the county surveyor, which in many counties throughout the state is a separate elected office. Uh, and uh, we just decided to combine that one a few years back, and we also combined our clerk and our our auditor a few years back. Uh, the county council decided to separate those back out, so we'll be having an election this year for the county clerk and for the county auditor, uh, and have two separate people where we have one now. And uh, again, throughout the state, each county has has a little bit of latitude to decide how exactly they want their local government to be structured. And in, in many of the counties, those are already separate offices. Uh, we have right now seven executive branch elected officials in Cache County, uh, county myself. Uh, so that includes county executive, the county sheriff, the county attorney, who's our prosecutor. And then we have a, a clerk, clerk slash auditor. Uh, we have a recorder. And then we have an assessor and a treasurer. And then on our legislative side, we have seven council members. And even that 
varies from county to county. There are a few counties that have the council form of government, and some of them have five council members, some of them have seven, some of them have nine. So that, that's one thing that's nice about our, our state legislature. They give us some some flexibility and some latitude to determine how we're going to govern ourselves at a county level. Mm. I heard yesterday there's a bill being run at the legislature which would uh, take Utah back off of vote by mail, at least move in that direction. Um, what's, what's your view? Uh, Utah was an early adopter. Has it gone well? Do you Are you satisfied with vote by mail? I think vote by mail has been extremely successful from the perspective of voter turnout. If you look at what voter turnout numbers were before uh, widespread implementation of vote by mail, the numbers were a lot lower. The participation rates were a lot lower. And the fact that we've made it so easy for people to vote has really increased participation, which I think is a really good thing. So uh, I, I think from that perspective, it's it's a great thing. And um, and more people voting is is a really good thing. We I think we too often take for granted the the ability we have to choose our leaders and uh, and to be involved in in choosing how our our local, state, and national governments are run. And uh, and I I definitely encourage people to vote, and more people to get involved. One of the one of the risks with with mail-in voting is there there are more opportunities for things to go wrong because uh, there's uh, there's a, a, a process that is uh, a little more drawn out uh, a lot more people in between more distance that your ballot is traveling over and uh, that that has raised concerns for some people I know during the last presidential election there were concerns uh, about um, ballot stuffing and and people harvesting ballots and a variety of things like that that those are things that become more likely in uh, in a vote by mail scenario uh, however we uh, th- that just means that we as as the local governments have to keep an eye on things and and make sure that we have protections in place to ensure the integrity of our elections and I, I believe, at least in our county, that our elections are secure. We have processes in place to ensure a chain of custody with the ballots. And, for example, the ballot boxes that are out at uh, various locations around the county, at city halls normally, uh, is where we'll have those uh, remote ballot boxes. We have cameras on those uh, so we can see if somebody's coming and stuffing ballots into them. Uh, we, whenever we go to pick up the ballots, we make sure there are at least two people, and there are always two people with those ballots. Uh, we we track and count at multiple steps along the way. So there are a number of protections that have been put in place to ensure the integrity of the election, and uh, it. I'm sure it will be a continually evolving process. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the state legislature is is constantly tweaking the process and and adding new laws and adding new new steps to the process. And I, I, I think that's good. We should be constantly improving, uh, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge then for our election officials to be able to keep up with all of those changes and, and make sure that we're in compliance. 
think it's well to remember, sometimes we forget that uh, by and large, elections are administered on the county level, right? That's you, right. You bear the expense, uh, security concerns, the equipment. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the counties. Yeah. Uh, historically, cities, uh, city uh, clerks and recorders uh, have handled elections for municipal elections, but that even has transitioned over uh, to, to county clerks handling that for them. Uh, and, and that's how we've been handling it the last couple of elections here in our county. So yeah, that's a big responsibility to have to, for the counties to have to handle those elections for all of the various, uh, all of the various municipalities and state races and federal races, presidential election that's coming up. Uh, it, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a lot of responsibility and we have some great clerks and, and recorders, uh, uh, clerks, across the state and then city recorders who, who help with this process. They're, they're really dedicated to it. I had a, a great opportunity to, to see it firsthand. When we did the recount um, just uh, over a month ago, I was able to be there with our county clerk staff doing the, the recount and then the city recorders from Logan and Hiram because it's, it's essentially their election. They, they are the ones who are the election official for their election, even though we're the ones processing. We have the machines doing the counting. Those kinds of things are being handled by us, but it's their election still. So they were there, and they're so knowledgeable and, and concerned and, and watching every piece and and every step, making sure that that the elections are are done in a way that is professional and accurate. So I I feel uh, in in our county that uh, that our city and county election officials have been doing a great job. We have some incredible staff that that work really hard and are really dedicated and devoted to doing the best they can. Mm. I wanted to transition to another topic: uh, homelessness. So we recently had the uh, annual homeless count, right? Yeah, Which, uh, how it happens in in January. Um, what? Uh, uh, Talk a little bit about those those issues. We have uh, now a warming center in uh, in Cache Valley, right? Yeah. My understanding is also CAPSA is involved, right? If if uh, if there's a needed need for extra housing, yeah. Technically, CAPSA uh, CAPSA's shelter uh, facilities are considered homeless facilities, and uh, we we have a couple of of ways that we help people in our county. And you mentioned the, the pit count that, that happened last week. That's uh, the point in time count. So what we do is we, we try to have everybody count at the same time across the state. And uh, that way, uh, if someone happens to move from one location to another, from one day to another, they don't get counted twice. So we did that last week and uh, we identified 33 unsheltered individuals in, uh, in our county, which is, which is kind of incredible if you think about that and you think about how cold it is here in northern Utah. Uh, usually when, when we find unsheltered individuals here in Cache County, they're, they're oftentimes sleeping in a car, uh, but that does not provide much protection from the elements. I, I went uh, a couple of years ago uh, out on the count, and we found someone, and, and we were doing a survey with them, and they, they opened their car door while we were... Uh, while we were interviewing them, and I noticed the the inside of their windows had ice, not the outside, the inside of mm. their windows. Wow! Which uh, 
really opened my eyes to to what that must be like sleeping in the elements here. So we, we thankfully have a number of programs to help people. We, we have the, the warming center that you mentioned. Uh, when we did the count the other night, there were 14 people at the warming center. And that's just an incredible uh, incredible service that we're offering to, to people who are unsheltered in the winter months. Uh, it's, it is only open in the winter months. And, uh, and then we have programs through BRAG. That's, that's one of the, the many boards that I serve on. It's our Association of Governments, the Bear River Association of Governments. And that Association of Governments provides a variety of social services from veteran services, senior services, uh, housing services. And uh, when we did the count, there were 34 people who were being housed in motels uh, through uh, programs through our Association of Governments. Uh, and then uh, there were um, there's another nonprofit called uh, New Hope, and they were sheltering eight people, and uh, and then CAPSA had eleven as well. You mentioned them, so we we have a number of different resources available to help people, and uh, and we need a number of resources because there are a variety of different reasons why people are are struggling with homelessness, and. Uh, oftentimes it's economic. Uh, oftentimes there are um, other uh, social issues involved. Uh, I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to uh, to help a young man who was sleeping in a tent in in one of our canyons, and uh, he had been out there for almost two months through our our Cache Valley winter in a tent and this was not any special tent this was just a, a small basic tent uh, and uh, it's 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 tough to see people dealing with those kinds of circumstances and it's tough for them to deal with those circumstances we we have a variety of, of resources available through Bragg and and these other nonprofits and uh, and we have an incredible community that's willing to step up and and help people who are in need. And I know this is this is this has become a, a big issue across our nation. Um, I think in many of the bigger cities, things like substance use are are really leading to increased homelessness. Uh, in our area, I would say the primary issue, just at, based on my experience with with these counts and and with the individuals, I would say the primary issue in our area is economic, mm. and uh, and and that's kind of interesting because we have such a strong economy here. Uh, however, uh, it doesn't always work out uh, how we would hope it would for everyone. And housing is a, is a major challenge in our community. Uh, we have a limited supply of housing. Our population has been growing. And, uh, and we, we need more supply. The, the, if you look at the cost of housing in uh, our community, it has, it has gone up so much in the last couple of years. I, I checked uh, a couple of weeks ago the some of the data related to uh, housing in our community. I think it was 560000 was the average sale price of a home. Uh, and that's pretty expensive. That if, if you put down 20%, which is what is recommended if you're going to buy a house, that's over $100,000 that you're now going to be putting down as a down payment to meet that 
20% threshold. And even if you did that, even if you put down a $100,000 down payment, you would need to make over $120,000 a year to qualify for that mortgage. Uh, that's really difficult. Uh, of course, not everyone's buying a home. We have, we have a lot of rentals in our community. The, the top two most expensive uh, rental markets in the state are actually Provo and Logan, uh, both college towns. Uh, and our, our, I was just reading a report this morning uh, about how much the rental rates went up in the Logan area over the last couple of years. And it, it's incredibly expensive to, to rent even. And uh, this has been exacerbated. This whole housing situation has been exacerbated by increasing interest rates um, and and low supply. So uh, all of these issues uh, create uh, create uh, a situation where we have more people uh, who are unsheltered, where we have uh, an economy that is maybe not growing as fast as it could because we don't have uh, as much available housing as is needed. I, I was just talking to uh, a local business the other day about uh, about uh, hiring employees, and I often hear this this uh, response from uh, from companies in our county when I talk to them about recruitment and growth. They oftentimes tell me that the the biggest issue is housing that they. Uh, they want to recruit people here, but it's hard to get people here. I just lost uh, one of my department heads. I, I hired a, an, an airport manager, and uh, he he wasn't able to find adequate housing. Mm. And this is a department a department head working for the county. Of course, we don't we don't pay too much working for the government, but it wasn't enough for him to find adequate housing. He he ended up uh, resigning his position and and leaving, uh, going back to. Uh, the community where he already had a, ho- a home, and uh, we had to hire someone else. We found someone who already had a home here, so mm. <laughs> hopefully that that one works out better. But um, I had another conversation uh, just last week with, actually no, it was just earlier this week, with some individuals who are helping uh, helping people who are coming out of the jail. So when 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 we have people who commit a crime and and we put them in jail, when they come out, we want them to to behave themselves, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want them to uh, to stay out of trouble. And so we, we have a variety of programs where, where we help those people to be successful and to get their driver's license, get a job, uh, find out uh, where they can live, and ideally somewhere where they can live where they're not associated with people they got into trouble with before. Uh, the, the staff I was talking to, they told me that's the number one ith- issue with people coming out of incarceration is finding them somewhere to live. And of course, their problem is is multiplied because oftentimes uh, landlords will do background checks or, or want to know about criminal histories, and, and that makes it even more difficult for those individuals to find somewhere to rent uh, when they have a criminal record. So there, there are so many issues related to housing and, and homelessness. They, they all tie together and, and uh, creates a, a complex a complex. Uh, job for us uh, at at the government level to to try to figure that out. Thankfully, we're not the only ones uh, addressing it. We have a number of really great nonprofit organizations like the William A. Bernard Warming Center, like CAPSA, like New Hope, and 
and so many others. We we have a great community here in Cache Valley and throughout the state of Utah. Did you know Utah has the highest volunteerism rate of any state? Uh, people in Utah really step forward and serve in their communities, and uh, and that makes a difference. And I I'm talking a lot about the government side, but I really really appreciate our nonprofits out there because they actually keep our taxes lower because since they're doing what they're doing, then that means the government doesn't have to do as much. And, and the more the government has to do, the more taxes there are, the more expensive that's, that's going to be. And nonprofits are about the most efficient way you can get something done. They, they're always operating on shoestring budgets and, and trying to figure out how to raise money and find grants and get donations. And they do some incredible work. We have some great organizations in our county that, uh, that provide so many different services from helping the homeless to helping refugees to uh, helping young mothers. Uh, so many great programs. And, and uh, one of those, um, if I could mention, uh, our Cash Refugee and Immigrant Connection, CRIC, uh, they've been growing so much and, and they've, uh, they've been so successful in helping refugees, uh, including refugees from Afghanistan, refugees from Ukraine, uh, a couple of the, the most recent batches of, of refugees who've come to our area. And they've been so successful. The, the Afghans, for example, 100% of, of the Afghan refugees who came here were placed into jobs and housing and completely off of all government benefits and totally self-sufficient within a very short period of time after arriving here. That's incredible that they're able to do that. Uh, of course, part of that is because we have a really strong economy. We have a lot of job opportunities. But the main reason is because we have incredible people, really good people, who are willing to step up and help people in need. Uh, I, I often talk about that as the Cache Valley way. That's the way we do things here in Cache Valley. Uh, if you hear the governor speak, he calls it the Utah way. And I, I love that. That's one thing I love about Utah. I love about Cache Valley is the way that people step up and help others in need. Hmm. Let's take a break. Um, we'll come back and have more with Cache County Executive David Zook, uh, who, who was our guest for the hour. Uh, more following this. Today in the program, we're checking in with Cache County Executive David Zook um, and uh, talking about issues in uh, Cache County which uh, most of these, I think, apply uh, statewide. And uh, so wherever you're listening, um, you're welcome to email us with your question or comment to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. So, David Zook, I want to uh, maybe finish up with with housing. Um, You outlined some of the the problems, some of the solutions as well. I want to talk about solutions. Um, This is just anecdotal, but I am... People who are able to get into housing, at least among my scope of friends and acquaintances, it's almost 100%. They say, well, we got into neighborhood nonprofit housing program. So at equity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's how we're doing it. Yeah. I, I'm amazed by how many people I'm talking to who that's how they're getting into housing these days. Yeah, that's uh, uh, neighborhood nonprofits, one of our great uh, local nonprofit organizations that helps with housing and they have some great programs that uh, are, are referred to as self-help programs because the participants actually go and build their own house. Uh, and uh, it's, it's quite the experience. I, I've talked to a number of people who have done it, and 
you end up getting something more affordable because you put that sweat equity into it and uh, you end up getting something that you truly have ownership and not not just uh, not just because you bought it but because you built it and of course there are experts who help along the way and they they have you help according to your abilities but it's a great program a great opportunity to get people involved but we uh, we need we need more programs like that we need more opportunities I, I was in a presentation down at the legislature yesterday and the governor's uh, housing advisor Steve Waldrip was was given a presentation um, no this was this was on Monday actually and uh, he was talking about some of the things the, the governor is proposing to help with housing and to get more capital out there. One of the issues that he was addressing was the fact that that there's just not as much capital available from banks these days for uh, for home builders and developers to to get product out there and available. So the state's looking at ways to to solve that issue. It, it's a pretty complex issue. We we uh, looked into it pretty deeply here in Cache County over the last couple of years. I put together a, a housing crisis task force uh, with a, about 50 experts from various uh, various uh, professions and um, and levels of expertise related to housing, and they put together a report. I asked them to take 60 days to uh, to look at the issue and and give a report, and they they gave some recommendations, and and that report included recommendations about things that could happen at the federal level, at the state level, at our local levels, cities, uh, and, uh, and also things that people could do as, as voters, as, as citizens. And we've been, we've been working since that uh, report was published to implement those things. We, we actually got a grant from the, the state of Utah to help us to share this information from the, uh, from the study and we've been sharing information with city councils and planning commissions and other city staff about policies they could implement to help with the housing, uh, with the housing crisis here in the state. And another piece of it has been a public side of it, uh, where we've been doing public education and helping uh, average citizens to know more about the housing crisis and what they can do to help with it. And one of the things citizens can do is to, to be more supportive of housing developments. And I, I understand the pushback on this. Uh, I, I love our, our state, our community uh, here in idyllic Cache Valley. It's such a beautiful place. We have open space and farms and, and uh, beautiful natural areas. And of course, we, we all want our community to stay exactly as it was right after we changed it, <laughs> right after we built our house. We want it to stay exactly like that. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges to that is, what about the next generation? Where are they going to live? If you look at our growth uh, in our state and in, in, in our county, for example, our county has uh, the second highest rate in the state of natural increase. So what natural increase is, is that's our own kids. And San Pete County actually has the highest rate in the entire state. Uh, uh, but our rate is about 85%. So 85% of our growth historically has been our own kids. And if we're, if we're going to implement policies at, at the city or, or county level that restrict new housing developments, then what we're essentially saying is that our kids don't get to live here. Our kids won't get to buy a house in the community where they grew up. 
And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's good for our economy. I don't think it's good for our community. Uh, our economy is, is growing. We have a really strong economy. We have businesses that need employees. And if we're exporting our, our young people, uh, we're, we're here right now on the campus of Utah State University with thousands of, of smart, well-educated young people who are ready to go out into the workforce. And we should give them opportunities not only to find a job here, but also to be able to live here. And, and I think it's, it's critical to the strength and health and well-being of our communities that we keep families together. And I, I'm not originally from Cache Valley. I'm not originally from Utah. And I've been here about 15 years, and I've really studied the, the community and, and what's different about this place. Because Utah is different. Cache Valley is different. And I, I've, I've been paying attention. <laughs> I've been watching. I've been trying to figure out what is it that makes this place so incredible? What, what is it that makes our, our community great? And one of the things that I've identified that, that I see that I didn't see in other communities where I lived is how involved families and extended families are with each other. Uh, for example, uh, when, when I would go to a, a soccer game for, for my kids, you would see kids there who'd have not only their parents there, but their grandparents there, and maybe two sets of grandparents there. Uh, that provides those youth with an extended support structure that really improves their chance of being successful in life. When, when we can be close to our support structures, then things like homelessness that we were talking about earlier are going to be far less likely. Uh, then things like education become far easier when, when we have support structures close to us. But that's only going to happen if our next generation can still live in the same community where they grew up, where their parents are, where their grandparents are. So I really feel like this is a Utah issue. Utahns care about family. Utahns care about, about being together with their family. Uh, Utahns care about supporting their extended family members. But we can't do that if we're not together. It's a lot harder if we're not together. And solving our housing crisis is a big piece of that. So we've been doing a public education campaign to to help people to understand these dynamics primarily that if we say no more housing or don't don't allow that housing development to come in we're not we're not keeping Californians out by doing that we're keeping our kids out uh, in fact if if we limit the supply the only people who will be able to afford a house here are people from out of state people from California people from um, uh, who who are already uh, established and, and have the financial resource to be able to live here. So we have to make housing policy decisions that will support the growth of our families and will support our next generation and allow them to be able to stay here. Um, we'll head toward another break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about transportation, among other things, in our, our last segment. But uh, before we head to break, David Zook, uh, you wanted to mention uh, – uh, an event, dialogues, uh, a series of events, dialogues on economic growth and sustainability. Tell us about this. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to mention this. Uh, it, it kicks off this Friday here on the Utah State campus, but it's going to be broadcast. So uh, anyone throughout the state, if they'd like to, um, if, if they'd like to check it out, the the purpose really is is to look at 
It's a symposium exploring the, the tensions and opportunities in how we create and protect well-being for people and the planet. Uh, Utah State University's College of Natural Resources is partnering with uh, the School of Business and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, um, Natural, Reses, Natural Resources Institute, the President's Office, and they're looking at how our economy and our people and our environment are interacting with each other and how we can do that more successfully. There will be a series of three different dialogues starting this Friday, the, the following Friday, and the Friday after that. Uh, they each start at 1 p.m. And uh, people can just Google Dialogues on Economic Growth and Sustainability, uh, USU, and uh, it's free. It's free to come to the event. Uh, it's, it's free to, to log in and, and watch it. About a dozen speakers will speak uh, each day and on a variety of, of topics. So I, I just wanted to share that with the listeners because I think they will really uh, enjoy this series of dialogues. All right, Dialogues on Economic Growth and Sustainability this Friday and then subsequent to two Fridays after that, 1 p.m. USU Performance Hall. That's where the, those will be happening. Yes. And online opportunities for you. Okay, very good. Um, we're talking with Cache County Executive David Zook. We'll have more following this break. You're listening to Access U Time, Tom Williams, and we're talking this hour with Cache County Executive David Zook. We've been talking about housing, transportation, the wealth, uh, the economy, homelessness, growth, and other issues. Now I want to talk about transportation. Um, so, David Zook, um, uh, you know, in a, a lot of places are experiencing this, um, transportation issues. Um, for example, last year I was reading a series of reports on Hebrew City, a uh, city I'm familiar with, tra- traveling through to many, many times to my home in Vernal. Um, but, but it sounded like similar issues to, to Cache County, They're trying to get uh, traffic off of Main Street, but there's resistance to where they're putting that, <laughs> moving that traffic. Uh, tell me about uh, plans and what, uh, I guess, the problem and how we're trying to alleviate that in Cache County. Sure. Traffic is, is an issue when you have growth. If you look at the last census, Utah was the fastest growing state in the nation. Uh, more people means more cars, more traffic. And we, as, as local governments and, and the state government as well, we need to do our part to make sure that we're planning the appropriate infrastructure to be able to handle that growth. And that's a challenge uh, because uh, building roads is an expensive endeavor. And there are other challenges that come with it as well. Uh, For example, you you mentioned main streets or or alternatives to that. We here in in Logan, uh, we have a main street that has become very crowded. And we've been working with UDOT to study that and to figure out what we're going to do about it. Uh, we've we've got about fifty million dollars set aside to try to fix it. We think it's probably going to take another fifty million to uh, to really fix it. But we've been looking at alternatives and how how we can move that traffic around. We have something throughout the the state of Utah that uh, the pioneers implemented. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the Plat of Zion, and uh, what it is is it's a the grid system that we have. We have this great grid system for how our our towns and cities were laid out that works really well as long as we stick to that and as long as we don't put things in the way of that grid uh, because when when the grid system is in place you have multiple alternative routes uh, to get to get from here to there 
But in our county, for example, here here in Logan even, if you look at our grid system uh, in Logan, it has a number of, of natural and uh, and man-made barriers that that prevent the grid system from functioning like it should, including the Logan River, which uh, which is a, a major impediment. Only a few rivers, uh, only a few bridges that cross the river. Uh, we also have uh, right here next to the university where the river is. There's there's a major change in in the geography where uh, the land drops down and there's there's basically a, a small mountain uh, to be crossed and it's really hard to take roads up the side of a mountain. And then we have things like railroad tracks and schools. We have our, our Logan High School and our and middle school uh, are right in the middle of the grid uh, and, and block the grid system. We built a mall right in the middle of our grid system. And so we have we have these things that, that happen. And then when when planners don't don't think about this, uh, when developers and planners uh, don't aren't aren't forward looking enough, they they put developments right in the middle of where our roads should be and and that makes bottlenecks that makes uh, a constricting point in our traffic network that that makes it not function like it should so we've been looking at some things in our county uh, and trying to figure out ways that we can create alternative routes and one of those is our our 10th west which is state right state route 252 Uh, that's been very successful and that, that was built over a decade ago now and uh, provides an alternative north-south route to Main Street. We're now looking at what's the next alternative route, and we're looking another 10 blocks or so west of that uh, at a western corridor that we can build and trying to plan for what the route will be and make sure that stuff doesn't get built in the middle of it. There are already, unfortunately, some things in the way of what that route would be. Um, but 10th West, which is a great road, uh, only goes as far as our airport. And then it dead ends into the airport, and then you you don't have an intact grid system anymore. So we, we have a number of challenges when it comes to uh, to dealing with transportation and accommodating the growth here, and uh, and the key is that we all need to work together. And and by all of us, I mean developers and businesses and local governments. And, uh, and our planning organizations and UDOT, and we all need to look at uh, what our long-term plans are. We need to make sure those plans get funded, that those uh, plans get constructed. And, uh, and it's tough sometimes. For example, with our, our Logan Main Street project, we have a balance that we're trying to find between whether or not we make this highway into a freeway or... We, whether or not we keep it as something that looks more like a downtown Main Street, and those two things don't go to go don't go together very well. Uh, if you're going to have something that's a highway, then you're going to make it wide and fast, and you're not going to have street side parking, and and you're not going to have many places where people are turning onto or off of that road, and you want to prioritize the through flow of traffic. That doesn't really work for small businesses. That doesn't really work for the the look and feel of a downtown. Uh, if you want a nice downtown, you want the traffic to be slow. You want people to have parking uh, on the on the side of the road. You want there to be a nice wide sidewalk with landscapes and 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 tables and chairs and and events and and bike lanes and and so many things that that are going to bring pedestrians and bicyclists and and um, 
and to have an inviting environment, that doesn't look like a freeway. Uh, and uh, and those things are, are in conflict. So that's the primary issue we're trying to figure out right now with our Main Street is where's the balance? How do we find a balance between getting traffic through here in an efficient way but also maintaining the character of our downtown and supporting the businesses in our downtown. So it's a challenge. We, we, we don't know all of the, the solutions to it, uh, but one of the things we're looking at is making sure that our grid system is intact and that we have good alternative routes. If, if we can do those things, that'll take pressure off of our main street. Mm. Um, many of the things we talk about, we're at the end of our time here. We just have about uh, 30 seconds left. Uh, maybe uh, mention again the dialogues on economic growth and sustainability. Yeah, the Dialogues on Economic Growth and Sustainability is going to be hosted here at Utah State University. It's a symposium exploring the the conflict, essentially, between people and our place. And uh, we'll have some speakers on economics and uh, the environment and a, a bunch of experts from Utah State University. It's going to be starting this Friday and then for the following two Fridays after that. Uh, just Google Dialogues on Economic Growth and Sustainability at Utah State. You can watch it remotely or you can come here uh, and watch it in person. It's free. Well, we've been talking with Cache County Executive David Zook. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Tom.